0: Hello, and welcome to the Career Canvas podcast, where we explore an inside look into different industries from future leaders, their work, and their stories. Today, we have the real honor to host Michal Fischer. Michal, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Reuben. Really excited to be here.
0: Michal <laughs> works at LifeSci Partners, a healthcare and life sciences-focused advisory firm and venture fund, as vice president of corporate development. Her daily tasks include scouting for new business opportunities for their advisory firm and for investment opportunities for their fund. What does that mean? That was a that was a mouthful. All
1: right. So I work for Lifeside Partners which is a firm that is based in New York but has offices or nowadays offices are less important but has people all across the US, uh, particularly in the Boston and San Francisco biotech hubs as well as all over Europe and six people here in Israel. And we have recently opened up uh, an Asian office. The firm has nine different businesses, which sounds complicated when you try to present it. So usually when people ask me, what do I do? I just say, I work in drugs, pharmaceuticals. And then, or sometimes I'll say biotech. Uh, They'll say, oh, are you a pharmacist? And I'm like, no. So what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I'll tell you another time. <laughs>
0: no, so this is that other time for everyone who's asked me for what she does. We're going to go a little deeper than that.
1: <laughs> right. So, so here's the time to actually say, so the firm has nine different businesses. It's actually the biggest investor relations firm in the world, in the life sciences space. Life sciences means anything to do with healthcare. So that can be... Biotech, which is uh, drug development or pharmaceuticals, and then it can be medical devices, and it can be digital health. So all of those are considered life sciences. Firm really has all these functions that deal only within the life sciences space. Investor relations is a function that usually exists in public companies. So companies that are that are trading on a stock exchange will have. A person in the company usually, or they'll outsource it, for example, to us. Right now, we have 230 clients uh, just for investor relations. That person or that function in the company is responsible for anything that the company does that is interaction with capital markets. Capital markets means the stock exchange. It means investors. It means um within investors it can be venture capital funds or it can be high net worths you know just people who have a lot of money who invests in companies it can be hedge funds um, mutual funds etc so there's a function in the company that is responsible for what's called the company's messaging the company has a story right if i'm developing a drug for breast cancer there's a story behind that how did i get to developing this drug did it come from your main university did it come because I was running a clinical institute and a drug company was developing a drug at my site. And then I actually thought, oh, maybe this drug is actually not good for hypertension, which is high blood pressure. It's actually good for cancer. So then I took the drug and developed it. So every every company has a story. And then that story continues from the moment that they founded the company, but then through all the development. So Why did we choose this indication? Why did we choose this disease to go after? This disease, how many patients are there who are suffering from the disease? And how are they being treated today? And which mechanism or what is this drug targeting within the disease? I mean, cancer is a big word. So what exactly are we going after within cancer that's going to help this person get cured? Is it going to be somebody who has a specific mutation in their DNA for a specific type of breast cancer, for example, or is it a bit more widespread mutations that that cancers have? So, you know, and also those they'll be diagnosed. So, You know, nowadays there's a lot of diagnosis that's happening. So, anyways, we have a whole development plan for for this drug. You know, why we went, why we chose this indication, how we're developing it for this indication, are we running clinical trials? How many patients, etc. And then, once the drug is actually going on the market, how are we going to price it? Is it going to be higher or lower than current drugs? Is it going to be so expensive that it's only going to be for a specific number of patients? So, all this is the company's story. So, when we're going out to raise money, for example, from investors, or we're going to speak with potential partners, for example, if I'm a small biotech and I want to partner with Pfizer, I need to be able to tell my story enough so that the person on the other side will understand what exactly they're investing in, or why they want to partner with me. So all that storytelling, messaging, everything that goes out in press releases, the investor presentation, all that is super highly important. And there's somebody whose function within the company is to make sure that we're telling that story properly. And then also most important, that person usually has relationships with investors or with partners to then connect me as a company with those investors it's a really important function of investor relations and we now have 230 clients you know i mentioned this before who we work with just for investor relations so that's just one function within the company that's one of the nine businesses the other functions are i won't go into (laughs) i'll I'll cut this short of um but we also do what's called investment banking so investment banking means actually going out to what's called solicit a deal so a company will want to raise money, let's say they'll want to go out and raise $50 million. Our investment bank will work with the company to figure out who are the right investors who might want to invest in a, a specific company. And then they'll help, they'll go reach out to those investors. And in, in the US, you have to be licensed specifically for this. It's called a broker dealer license, but they'll go out and speak with the right investors and tell them the story and explain to them why this is a good deal for them to be part of. And then they'll so go and a raise A lot of money. storytelling. So, yeah. But then it's it's more, you're getting paid. It, the differences between the two functions. One of the differences is, is sort of the business model where in investor relations, you're working long-term with a company over years and years and years. The business model is just a monthly retainer because you're. It's like a salary. It's it's like a you know it's a function within the company, so it's like a salary. Whereas with the investment bank, you're getting paid on a deal. So we went down and raised fifty million. We got a percentage of that. We're just we're we're there for the deal.
0: So there's nine different businesses. Are you specifically working in investor relations? But Life Size has other branches. Like, are you connected to all of them?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. So I spoke about investor relations and a bit about investment banking. Um, but then there's other functions that are, for example, executive search. So that means hiring a CEO, a CFO, a CPO, just executive recruitment. So anybody that's sort of upper management, C-level and boards. So even we'll even bring in board members for companies because we can talk about boards another time, but boards is Super highly important for a company if they want to go and raise money. They need to have people who've done this before, who investors will see and they'll say, "Oh yeah, he's on the board. You know, I, I trust that he knows what he's doing. I'm going to invest in this company." Uh, so we do that. Inv- we do also executive search. Um, we do what's we do partnering. So that means doing licensing deals between companies or collaborations. We do market research. Uh, we have a group that does. Um, Just kind of filling in specific functions. So like it's called a like CFO on demand. So they'll you know they'll bring in a CFO to work part-time for a company. Um then and we have an expert network practice, which means like you want to speak with 10 doctors in this field, so we'll connect you with them. And and there's more. So I'm not affiliated specifically with any one of these. We'll call it divisions or companies because they're all called LifeSci Advisors, LifeSci Consulting, LifeSci Ventures. Oh, uh, we didn't even talk about that. LifeSci Search, uh, LifeSci Capital. Um, I I, I mentioned LifeSci Ventures, but that's actually our, our venture fund. So we've invested in 37 companies, two of which are Israeli. Um, so I'm not affiliated with anybody specific. Uh, I, my role is to bring in business for the platform in general. So if I meet with a company or I meet with an investor and there's something that's interesting that they're doing that I or we think is something that we can be helpful with, so then I'll connect them to the right people within the organization and then sometimes I'll be involved in specific deals. In other words, like if there's a company that we're working with on something where I specifically have relationships, so I'm able to uh, to join them and 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 do that together. So not, you know, I'm just sort of like looking out for, speaking with investors, speaking with companies, and seeing what everybody's up to, and then figuring out what where is the company in the development process that, and where we can be helpful.
0: So you're like a funnel kind of a thing. You hear very big picture a, a problem, a story that has to be told, a company that's needs a little bit of help in a specific way in the in the health space, in the healthcare space, that needs either help with their management or help with their specific funding or, or market research or something along those lines. And you're able to connect them to the correct, either with it. the the correct business within LifeSide Partners.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'll just say that a lot of times I speak with companies, many times actually, I speak with companies that are very early so they can be, you know, seed stage or even pre-seed, but they're very early. So they're not, you know, they're not a company that we can help with officially, but I'll, myself and my colleagues are all, always happy to just help companies strategize. So if a company is really early and they just want to figure out, are we doing the right business model here? Um, Should we be going after a different market? Should we be thinking about a different indication? We're always super happy to help. We're happy to just, you know, help them connect with investors or with companies just to kind of help them move along. Our goal is really to help companies grow and develop.
0: That's, that's fantastic. So, but you're like a a great connector. That would be a a way of describing it.
1: Try to, I mean, I think, I, I think it's so gratifying to know that, you know, a company, you were helpful in helping a company
0: move along. I definitely hear that helping somebody is there's no better feeling. What you said uh, seed, what does seed mean or pre-seed?
1: That's a great question. So generally the funding stages, um, it can vary. So in other words, you can have a company that, a seed seed funding or even a pre-seed, sometimes there's a pre-seed funding. So that's really, you know, when you hear like an idea on a napkin, so it's like there's nothing really exists here except for an idea. But somebody will need some funding to move it along the way. Whether that means you know a salary for themselves, just so they can dedicate their time to, for example, going and filing patents for their idea, they'll need some funding. So so sometimes that can be categorized as pre-seed, or either seed funding, um, which will then lead to series A, series B, series C, and it's expected that somewhere I mean twenty. 21 and 20, 2020 and 2022 were very strange years um, in this whole process because you had companies raising huge amounts of money for ideas on a napkin or for series A money. Uh, in my world, you know, you, you we heard it in tech as well a lot where just valuations were insane. Uh, but you could have preclinical. So preclinical, for example, means like the company is just trying their drug on a mouse, right? It actually does not indicate very much on whether this drug is going to work at all, but they were raising crazy amounts of money and even going public. So it's expected that after, you know, maybe series B, series C, or you know, sometimes it can be series D E, but a company will go public. The amounts can vary though. Like you can have a seed round. For one company, that'll be half a million dollars, and for another company, that'll be ten million dollars.
0: So a seed or a pre-seed is money before there's actually necessarily a company. It's mostly an idea to try to get them to a company. But at that point, would they have what is called an evaluation? Will they be recognized as a company that's worth anything? Why? Definitely. And why do do companies go through so many series? Why? do they have to have so many rounds before they go public? So
1: that's actually a great question. I mean, yeah, companies are not necessarily, not very many companies are going public now, but it's still a great question. So at every round, the company will have a valuation because even when you come with an idea in the napkin, that idea is worth something. So that idea can be worth half a million dollars or, you know, I'm going to talk in percentages right now. What you'll do is you'll, split the pie. Founder, co-founders, they're the ones who come up with the idea. Sometimes they'll have advanced this idea far long enough to bring up the company's valuation. In other words, they'll have spoken to their friends and family and they'll have moved this along without without having a valuation. And then their seed round actually, which is their first round, will be much higher because they've done this without an official round but what happens that when you have somebody external come in so you have investor a come into the company they're going to put in let's make it easy they're going to put in 5 million dollars right into into the company then they're going to have some sort of negotiation with the founders where they say okay 100% is the total value of the company we the investor is putting in 5 so let's say the valuation of the company is $10 million, it'll be 50 50. Right. And there's okay. pre money and post money, right? Mm-hmm. But basically the company will have a valuation and then let's say $10 million, right? And then an, an investor will come in and put in another 10. Right.
0: Okay.
1: So they're going to have that discussion on how what is that. Pie looking like? Well, how much is each one getting? And usually it'll be more than one investor, but there'll be an investor who leads the round, who puts down the term sheet and says, I think this company is worth X amount. And I'm putting in this number. And then they'll either allow for other investors come to come in or they won't, because sometimes investors will want to have a certain stake of the pie. Like they'll say, look, I'm not investing my money if I'm getting less than 25% of the company. So there'll be a lot of pushback between the founders and the investors until they figure out exactly how much each each one is getting to make them all feel good with the deal that's happening.
0: So evaluations then are a way of saying, how much money do I think this company is worth? So if somebody has been working on their own and they have a product already made or ready, they might say, to the first investor, the Series A, uh, I think this idea is worth ten million dollars. If you give me five, then I'll keep five, and that's that's exactly the number. And then a different investor might come and say, you know, I actually think this is worth a hundred million dollars, and therefore I'm going to let you keep that percentage that that you thought before, that the amount of money that you thought before, but I'm going to make the pie bigger. Is that how it would work between rounds?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you'd hope that your valuation grows with every round. So, I mean, that's generally what used to have. <laughs> is the valuations were, were growing with, with every round because the company was actually creating more value, you know, in the tech world. After Seed or, you know, Series A, you'd expect the company to have raised enough money to be able to sell the product already. Like you're expecting investors in those rounds will be expecting the sales. Right. That, that's an interesting play because once you think that you're worth this and I think you're worth that, it's, look, I'm selling. So then usually the valuation is usually determined by some sort of multiple of sales.
0: Got it. Um,
1: so we we, sp- we spoke about before about you expect the value to grow, but unfortunately, the in the past year, um, many companies have had to down round or flat round. So flat round means that they'll agree to the same valuation as the last round. So for example, if their sales are 10 million dollars, an investor will see on the last round, Considered a multiple of five as making sense. Uh, so the company was valued at $50 million. But then let's say their sales um, weren't growing as they expected them to grow. Um, so then the investors might come back and say, you know what? We think that your company is worth $30 million right now. And if you want to survive another day, we're willing to give you the money, but that's at 30. So what happens is that all the investors who came in at the last round are actually getting diluted.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Sure. So that's that's happening. And and what we consider a flat round is um is if is if the valuation just stayed flat.
0: So right. so, so it was 50 million. Some companies and it stayed are... it feels...
1: Yeah. Some companies would be considered
0: lucky to have a flat round these days. Sounds like a challenging time to be in this business
1: <laughs> in any business I mean this is like tech biotech everything whereas in 2021 companies could sell a dream investors would buy it there was a lot of fomo uh so companies were just getting insane valuations right. and nowadays everyone's looking at sales ARR to determine valuations
0: they're a lot more grounded in the numbers. Yeah. So you were saying that you scout for new business opportunities. How do you go about doing that? Is that mostly people are reaching out to you and, and you're filtering them out to the different companies that you have? Or are you actually proactively looking for companies in the life sciences? And if I can add to that question, you said there was three different parts. There was physical products. There was pharmaceuticals. And there was
1: digital health. So that's anything to digital do. Digital health. health is digital health is that tech in healthcare product. So you'll have software that is used in healthcare. Listen, digital health, it's funny that you that we're talking about this because digital health um, has many, many names. One of them is healthcare IT, one of the it, it's got a lot of names. And uh so a lot of people will know it as something else and, and actually you know a lot of these you know sort of softwares that are you know helpful in hospitals or things like that they're not really digital health i mean they're they're not really exactly helping somebody get better i mean digital health traditionally is maybe a software that'll help you not have migraines or like a software that'll deal with adhd um but the others it's hard, it's very hard to consider them as as digital health so it just it's, it's a sort of broad term that covers things that shouldn't necessarily be covered
0: i feel like that happens a lot when people don't know what things actually mean and they're following buzzwords
1: absolutely um and that field actually has taken a major downturn in the past um year i'd say digital health during covid you can imagine everybody was thinking that everything you know. you know, we have all these apps for, you know, for seeing the doctor. Now everyone thought that this is like the new thing, you know, this is going to replace the whole medical system. Everything's going to change. And it didn't really. So a not lot yet. of these companies actually went downhill. Yeah. Not yet. Right. It, it was just <laughs> before it's time.
0: Right. So when we are we talking about those three different uh fields, what, How do you go about finding new business? And if you can give a percentage on each of them, how does LifeSite Partners uh, invest in those different categories?
1: Awesome question. So nowadays, I feel like a lot of the business is coming from referrals, sort of just people hearing, knowing, and then they'll reach out, somebody will connect them. You know, a lot of it's through investors who... Who know us? So they'll, you know, they'll just connect us when it's the right time for the company. Um, otherwise, I'm always going to conferences. I'm always looking out. You know, I'm always reading the news uh, to see who's out there who's doing stuff. Um, so LinkedIn has been a wonderful tool for me. If I, you know, if I ever want to connect with somebody, uh, LinkedIn has been very, very helpful. Um, and then where life size. Life size mostly focused, I'd say. Uh, traditionally, we were doing mostly biotech, so drug development. That's like hardcore, you know, drugs, pills. Um, and, you know, maybe 80% and then 20% is medical devices. And we weren't at all doing digital health until two years ago. And so digital health is still a very, very small percentage of what we do. Uh, but it's mostly focused on like biotech, drug development, and medical devices.
0: Interesting. Sounds like you're keeping busy. Don't we all? (laughs) Don't we all? We try to. (laughs) So I learned from you. You learned from me. Uh, I don't think so. So it sounds like it's, there's a little bit of referrals. There's a little bit of being proactive. There's a little bit of going to conferences. It sounds relatively similar to what a lot of SaaS companies are trying to do as far as trying to get clients. Would you say that that's, I guess that's just the way of the world. I think so, yeah. I think I it. think it's
1: all pretty much the same. It's funny, you know, a lot, my interaction with with tech is, um, you know, through WhatsApp groups for like VCs or through um, other, you know, BD groups. So I'm actually part of this, like biz dev executive group where just like a bunch, of, like I don't know, probably like 300 BD people and it's like 95% high tech, but it's really all the
0: same. I find that interesting. It's that there's a lot of terms. I was talking about buzzwords before, but when you break it down, a lot of people try and do a very similar thing. But I want to understand a little bit more before we get into the bigger understanding your journey a little bit more. Lifeside Partners is an investment firm. Do you have doctors on staff or pharmaceutical engineers, or you can enlighten me on the terminology. Maybe I'm messing up people's titles and I feel bad. How do you become the expert in the field that you have over 200 clients?
1: Great question. Um, So we're an advisory and investment firm. The company was founded as an investor relations firm, and then all the other divisions just sort of came with time and natural developments when you're working with companies you yeah. say oh wait we also need this and we also need that and we need this and we need that and then the company just grew but it was founded as an investor relations firm so even the fund um was only in the past few years i'd say the main qualifications to be let's say within life size is either a strong financial background so being on wall street for many years in the healthcare biotech space or having a strong scientific background, either being a doctor or a PhD. So we have many, many, many MDs or PhDs on the team, as well as many people who've spent years on Wall Street and who really understand investors, the financial world,
0: very well. Got it. Sounds like a dream team.
1: Yeah, honestly, it's a it's a gift. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, well, just being surrounded by so many just smart, motivated people who are, you know, really just out there to help companies develop new drugs. Like yeah. biotech and drug development is a very tough space. And um, you know, especially you'll see it in the market, you know, you'll see companies who have raised 250 million dollars. And their drug fails at the end. You know, in drug development, you've got phase one, phase two, phase three. So they'll fail in phase three. And there's nothing you can do. Devastating. (laughs) Yeah. And so you really have to know the space very well to be part of it. And, you know, I think that over the years, I've met so many people who are really in that space. They could be doing other things. You know, they could be in, in other fields. And they choose to remain in the healthcare space despite the challenges, uh, just because of that
0: connection. That's really nice. Are you either from a medical PhD type background or from a Wall Street background? How did you become a VP of Corporate Development at Lifeside Partners? What's your origin stories?
1: That's funny. A lot, you know, a lot, a lot of it
0: is—I'd call
1: it—just by chance luck. So I, I studied biotechnology, you know, that's the scientific background. And then I actually did uh, a master's degree in law, but I'm not a lawyer. So just kind of an overview of law, which was really interesting. I did it at the time where I was working in business development for just a pharmaceutical company. And I was doing a lot of contracts. So I was just creating partnerships with other companies and half my job was just doing contracts with them. So then I thought instead of doing an MBA, I'll just do this degree in law. And it ended up just being very interesting. But I'd say, you know, there's sometimes people ask, oh, wait, so how do I how do I do what you're doing? How do I get into business development in the, you know, in in the biotech space? And I actually say, you know, I've there's no really clear cut way to do it. It just I I actually finished my degree and by chance my first boss, you know, took me on. I had a business background as well, because while I was in university, I started a business. It was before the days of AliExpress. So I was importing stuff from China and from the U.S. and selling it here. So he saw that sort of biotech background with business. And he said, oh, why don't you come do business development for me? And it just, that this was 10 years ago. And then it just went that way. So I just started doing business development there. I did it for four years. Then I moved on to another company, did it for two years over there. And then when it came to LifeSci, it was just the right fit. I mean, it was just, I was qualified to to do business development
0: or corporate development, which is pretty similar. What would be the difference between them?
1: Uh, It's a good question. I mean, I think that in every company, you'll find slight differences. Corporate usually is more, you know, if you're thinking of, a, it doesn't matter if it's a tech company or a pharma company, you know, whatever company it is, corporate is usually more to do with maybe m and some mergers and acquisitions or investments. Whereas business development is sometimes more partnerships, licensing, sales kind of role. But it's really like in, in most companies, you'll find that it's kind of the same thing or, you know, sometimes you'll have the same function doing both so I think it really depends on 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 where you are and how they
0: what they call it interesting it seems like a lot of times job descriptions there's not like a uniform way of having a job description it just depends on what the company wants to call it so you had a strong background in biotech you spend time opening your do you still have that business or that business went away
1: i actually gave just about a month ago i gave away the last bits and pieces that i had still over here i just gave it to somebody and i said if you want to go out and sell these last few pieces of of stuff that i have go ahead um, and keep the money to yourself (laughs) it (laughs) it was really it it was really fun um but obviously once I started my job, you know, in the field that I love, it was just like, okay, I'm not going around selling like clothing or like household stuff. It was just it was just like, you know, I was sort of dedicated to this career path. Um, great. so yeah. Yeah.
0: So the business is officially finished.
1: Yeah, I think years ago, I just sort of but, left some stuff hanging
0: around. But it lives on inside of us all. So, so you spent, so you had some experience being an entrepreneur, which probably helps you also relate to entrepreneurs that you're that you're talking to. You can understand the drive and the passion a little bit. And you said luck, but it sounds like you were also qualified to be lucky. Is that is that a fair I, statement?
1: I think it's being in the place, the right place at the right time. Like at at that time, I could have gone um, to any other career path which was not necessarily business. Usually companies will hire somebody for a business development role after they've been through other roles. So they've done marketing or they've done operations or they've done sales. You know, they've done roles in the company and then they'll transition to business development. Whereas um, here, he just took me out of university with a small business on the side. Uh, to do this. So, so, so it's a rare situation. I haven't heard of many cases like that. Um, so, so so in that sense, I feel you know lucky to be in the right place at the right time.
0: I want to ask a deeper question. Why do you think that this guy took a chance on you? I'm asking because there's people that are listening to this that want to get into corporate development, either in healthcare or in other industries and they would love to have the opportunity straight out of college, should they go get a side job? Do you think it was really anything technical? It was just, there was a connection that was made. How would you attribute getting that first gig?
1: I think a lot of it is personality. Certain personality that you want to see. I'll give you this example. If I were to hire somebody out of university now, I'll tell you what I'd be looking for. I'd be looking for somebody very, very, very driven. Somebody who can process a lot of information. Who's going to spend every second of their day trying to learn the field they're in. So in other words, they'll be lying in bed at night. They're going to want to read about the news in the field. Like who's been doing this, who's been doing that. What did that deal look like? Um, so for example, I'm signed up to about five newsletters, which I used to read diligently every day. <laughs> and unfortunately I don't, but that gives you so much information about what's happening in the field. So people, they'll, be, they'll just have this crazy thirst to learn whatever there is there, whatever it is they're doing. It has to be people who are not scared to just talk to new people. And, you know, we used to use the term pick up the phone. That doesn't happen these days. I mean, nobody called, cold calling doesn't really exist. Or I mean, at least in my field, you know, it doesn't really exist so much anymore. I think we're using mostly digital tools. We're mostly messaging people on LinkedIn or meeting people at conferences. But it needs to be people who can have that feel of what is the other side going to want to hear to make them want to speak with me what they're, they're going to be constantly thinking about the other side. So I'm speaking with somebody and, and, and this can be different between people, but they're going to be able to understand what is it that's going to make that person want to continue that conversation now and in the future. So they're going to be great at developing relationships. Um, So I think a combination of all of that is what will make somebody sort of land a job like this.
0: Got it. I knew it wasn't just the business that you had, but that's telling of the personality that you had, the being a go-getter, making, being able to work with people, understand how to price something so that people will buy it, making the connections and relationships with the the big factories that you're importing from. I guess that all sort of pulls together. Yeah. Right?
1: And a lot of it is really luck. I mean, sometimes I'll meet really talented people who would be amazing at the job and they're just there's just not an opening at that specific time and you know sometimes you can miss it because you can you'll be wanting to get a job and you'll wait a certain amount of time but then you'll just decide that okay I you know I'm going to go do something else in the meantime and you'll you'll just sort of miss it and you'll get pulled into something else I mean not I mean there's there are a million super interesting jobs out there. So like, it's not like, but you know, I think if somebody really, really wants this job,
0: it's, it's personality. I've heard that before. Be the right place at the right time, but also take the opportunity when it comes. On that note, (laughs) is there a, this might go counterintuitive to what we're just talking about, but is there a productivity hack that you like to use? We're talking about being patient and making sure that you're driven and reading a thousand newsletters and doing all that kind of stuff. But is is there something that you use in your day to try to be more efficient?
1: Absolutely. So for me, it's multi multitasking. So I'll try to time everything I do so that I can get as much done in that specific time. So for example, if I'm going to have a work call, and it's just a call, it's not on video, I'll be either working while I'm doing that or I'll be hanging up the laundry or making supper or slipping the floor or whatever it is that I need to do throughout my day uh, and something like that happen or like taking advantage of, if I have to if I have to drive somewhere so to take advantage of that car ride but just sort of planning your day so that you can get as much done in a specific amount of time
0: Actually, I should do the same thing as well If I feel like I need to watch a a TV show or I need to watch something for work, I'll fold laundry. Like I'll try to make sure that I don't have to do that later. The things that don't take too much mind power away from what you're actually doing. Exactly. Where can people listening now find you if they want to either they have this amazing idea in the life sciences space or they're maybe they want to get connected with somebody who you're connected with which is most people it seems like in this world is there somewhere that they can find you online
1: yeah sure so i'm always available on whatsapp so just feel free to distribute my number i don't mind and then uh linkedin i okay so funny thing with linkedin i feel like lately it's become facebook too um okay. whereas i used to go on LinkedIn to get my business feed, And nowadays I'm getting pictures and politics and all sorts of things, which were used to be disqualified from LinkedIn. I'm kind of thinking about that. Um, <laughs> People posting about their <laughs>
0: podcast. Terrible. No,
1: that's professional. Come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. So they can the best way for people to get in touch with you is on WhatsApp. But they can yeah. also try to LinkedIn message you. And if you're on LinkedIn yeah. at that moment, then you'll follow up.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone can always LinkedIn message me and I'll and I'll respond to messages as well. That's great. If this is the time, can can I say a few good things about you?
0: About me? No, 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 no. don't say good things about me.
1: No, no, I just have one sentence to everyone who's, who's listening to this. Ruben is the one who established this incredible and wonderful community. And I can't thank him enough every single day. We bought a place over here knowing nobody. This was about seven years ago or eight years ago when it was just sand. There is nothing here. We did not expect to have this community. And it's just the biggest gift we could ever imagine. And I think that um, everyone can just thank Ruben for turning this place into the next Modine and even better. Um, so really, kudos. Right. Amazing. And that's in addition to everything else you do and to the wonderful family that you have. And so just so impressive.
0: Well, thank you. It's because of the family that all this stuff happens. It's funny that you say that, that this is the next Modi'in because you're probably one of the few people who bought around the same time as uh, as we did. And that was how they were advertising mm-hmm. our name. Yeah. That, and now they've they've gone away from that. Now we don't need to think about Modi'in. Now we're the new center of the country.
1: <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's it's because of people like you that this community turned into what it is. Your home is always open have people who and of all walks of life just coming in and just they know they have a comfortable place that they can they can be in. And it's really uh, I guess it relates to how your professional life is, just connecting and connecting with people, helping them reach their potential and helping learn from them. So thank you for joining. Michal this has been really fun and you can find Michal online whatsapp linkedin but be ready to be inspired if you if you if you reach out <laughs> thank you so much
1: thank you so so much
0: <laughs> all right everyone peace out